Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing in the room today? Yeah. You guys have a little bit more juice than the service before, so I'm thankful for that. They're awesome, too. I want to say a special welcome to all of the folks who are joining us online, or maybe you're going to hear this later on on a podcast, or you're going to check us out at LifeWanna.com. Thank you for joining us. Hey, let's give those guys a hand, would you? Amen. Yeah. Welcome. Um, I want to say a, a thank you. By the way, my name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. And if you're a guest with us today, thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm not sure if this is the dog days of summer, but it kind of feels like it is. Can I get a witness from some people? Um, but I'm glad that I live here, even if it's a thousand every day, and it never rains. Um, <clears throat> I love my city. I was born and raised here, by the way. Born in Methodist Hospital, over in the medical center. Some of you were born there. Sometimes people get born there, and I go there to visit them, and uh, their parents will say to me, "Oh, this hospital's that old? <laughs> why? Why you got to cut it, brother? I'm trying to here to serve, serve you guys." I want to thank all of our dream team because you guys parked out in the grass today so that everybody else could have a spot. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your sacrifice. 21 days of prayer is coming up uh, in just a few weeks. This is, if you're new here, we pray uh, 21 days in January and in August often. And this 21 days is going to look a little different in that we're going to be opening the church from Monday through Friday at noon. Uh, so if you want to come on, on your lunch break and come by, you can come and go as you please. There'll be people here to pray with you if you, if you need that. And we're going to put a, a journal in your hand that many of the people in our church have written the, the devotions that are there. We'll, we'll give it to you online, or you can have a hard copy. And then on the Wednesday nights, the 9th, the 16th, and the 23rd, um, we're going to have revival nights like we did in January. We're going to have that back. Food trucks out there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, if you missed last week, Pastor Andy um, just preached an amazing, amazing message. Yes. <clears throat> um, Check it out at lifepointsa.com or go to our YouTube page. Uh, I was uh, at North Rock Church across town covering for my friend who was on sabbatical, and so I brought him some LifePoint uh, heat, everybody. I brought him some, hi- some heat, and, uh, and I don't know if they knew it was LifePoint heat, but praise God, it was. All right. Uh, um, so I'm so glad you're here. Um, we are in part eight of our series, Summer on the Mount, where we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Just as a reminder, the Sermon on the Mount has no gospel in it. it. Jesus isn't teaching people how to be saved. The only, the only sort of way he says is, our blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, but that's not the gospel. He doesn't give us the gospel. What is he doing? He's teaching his disciples first and foremost about how to live their life in a godly, good way. And so by extension, he's teaching all of us, this is how you should live your lives, which is why we've spent, we'll spend 10 weeks in this and... Uh, so today, I want to do a game, uh, and, and you're like, what? I want to, I want to do, any, anybody ever seen a show where you have to finish the lyric, right? Um, so today, we're going to do a churchy version of it where you finish the verse, okay? This morning, there was a collection of people right here that knew all the verses. No one else did. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how you guys do. Ready? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Pretty good. Pretty good. That was easy, though. All right, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he... 
Yeah, some of you threw a begotten in there because you're King James folks. I love you. I like you. He was begotten. That is true, 100%. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God. Not so good. Not so good. All right, here's one that you know. Matthew 6, 9, our Father in heaven. Thy name. There's some King James Version people in this house. It feels like we're doing so good that perhaps we should do a song. Ready, ready? Sweet Caroline. Good times never seem so good. So good, so good, so good. You guys, y'all saw that? We're singing secular songs in church. Shouldn't we stop? Come on, man. Sweet Caroline. What's that brother's name? Neil Diamond, yeah. I always want to call him the other brother's name, but I can't remember his name either, so forget it. And then there's the text for today. Matthew 7, 1, judge, do not judge your mother. mother. (laughs) Somebody said your mother. A mother said that. Yeah, I didn't think anybody would know that one. We just know the first part, right? Do not judge, which is why a lot of folks, this is the most known verse in all the Bible, but only these three words. Uh, Can we get it back? There it is. Do not judge, right? This is the verse that everybody who wants to live their own way and not do what Jesus says, that's the verse they memorize, right? You're like, ouch. By the way, I'm going to kick my own rear today. Is it, should I, I'm going to step on my own toes. Is that a more, that's probably appropriate, right? Some people want to study the Bible like this, right? <laughs> do not judge right? I drew this. I'm a fantastic artist, as you can see. Do not judge and then scribble out whatever else it says in there. Let's read the actual verse. Ready? Verse verse 1 of chapter 7 of Matthew, if you have your Bibles. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. That was the line you guys were missing. For in the same way, say that with me, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged also, right? And, and also, with the same measure, or the measure you use, it will be measured back to you, right? So this verse is one of the most widely known verses in the Bible, the first three words at least. But it's also one of the most misunderstood. So you've heard someone say, and you probably said it yourself, I have some version of do not judge me. Usually that's when I'm eating something that I shouldn't. And I'm looking at my wife as she eats grass and seeds, and I'm pounding, come on, Krispy Kreme, hot and fresh. The one exception is if I go, we have this up here in Alamo Ranch now. Um, what's the other donut shop? Shipley's and the Twist. The cinnamon. Believe it or not, I'm going to preach the Bible today, I promise. Love it. The Bible says don't judge, and that's true, yes or no, right? But there's more, more here than the sort of reductionist idea of just don't judge me, right? What does Jesus mean here? I think when we study the, the entire passage, what we're going to find is Jesus is not giving a prohibition 
on having judgment or good judgment. It's actually a, a, a flashing neon sign saying, be careful, take great care how you judge, who you judge, when you judge. Like, like I would say, sort of reduce it like this, um, judge at your own risk, right? Um, because he's gonna tell us that in the next verses that it's not wrong um, to help a brother or sister remove a speck from their own eye, right? But it is wrong to sort of, of self-righteously point out a, a harmful speck from my brother's eyes while I ignore a, a ridiculous log sticking out of my own eye, right? So, so, so Jesus says in verse three, why, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank, the beam, the log, depending on the translation, in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? And then he goes on verse five, you hypocrite, which is a word he reserved for the Pharisees. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then, underline that, circle that if you have your Bible, and then you will see clearly enough to what? To remove it. Like he's not saying don't help your brother with the speck in his eye. He said, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll be qualified to help take the plank or the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, let me make this a little bit more relatable. Don't raise your hands, but some of you will have had a dream in your lifetime where you show up to work or some event without any clothes or not much in the way of clothing on. Yes or no? Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. Pretend like it's not you. Some of you definitely have. I have. It used to happen a lot more. I don't know what it means. I don't want to know what it means. So, fellas, um, I'm going to just talk to the men. If, imagine you go up to work and you, um, you just show up in your, your, your drawers. Can we say drawers? Um, and some of you are like, bro, this brother has lost his mind. It's the summer heat getting to him, right? But you, you like see another dude and you're like, dude, your shirt's on backwards. Hey, everybody, look at this loser right here. Shirt's on backwards. To which he's like, did you not realize that you have no pants on, right? Did you not tell them that these are the Lord's pants? It's kind of what's going on here. He's not saying it's wrong to say, hey, bro, I got to tell you something, man. Your shirt's inside out, right? Or, or you got broccoli in your teeth. He's just saying don't miss the fact that you don't even have a shirt on, right? So isn't it interesting that when Jesus talks about the fault of others, he calls them specks. But when he talks about the fault, our faults, he calls them logs. Why is that? Because he knows that our tendency will be to magnify other specks and turn them into logs and minimize our logs and turn them into specks. This is what we, this is what we do. This is what we do. And, and, and that's what the Pharisees had been doing. And Jesus says, don't, don't be like them, right? Now, let me tell you something else that's going on here. I've hinted at it before, but I'm going to say it explicitly now. All through the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular when Jesus says, I've, not, I've come to fulfill the law, not abolish it, right? Um, th there are two kinds of people that Jesus is kind of poking holes into their, their theology, their ideology, all through the Sermon on the Mount. The first is the, the obvious one is the Pharisees, the religious people who think, um, my good enough is good enough because of how well I follow the rules. My good enough is good enough. And also then is the kind of people who would say, well, Jesus doesn't really care how we live our lives. That's why he gave us grace. So I can live any old way I want to because there's grace. His own follower was Matthew, the tax collector, 
who this was an abomination that a Jewish person would collaborate with Rome to collect the taxes of the Jewish people. He has grown so comfortable in his own sin that he's, he's learned how to turn off the sort of conviction that God would have sent him about his own sin. He's learned how to live in his own sin and just not be like, I'm not, I can't worry about that anymore, right? J Jesus has taught us throughout that it's not the, the rule followers that he's looking for, nor is it the rule breakers either. It's those who have had their hearts transformed from the inside out and have chosen to follow him and to do what it is that he teaches. And so he starts here by poking holes in the hearts of people who say, my good enough is good enough, and I now stand in the seat of a judge and point people's flaws out, right? And he uses this kind of dramatic language of specks and logs to, to give a sense of, of proportion when we're considering the faults, failures, flaws of other people. And this verse is meant to slow us way, way, way down as we're considering putting on a judge's robe or that like wig that they do in England, can I get a witness, right? And pause to make sure that before I say anything to anyone, that I first examine myself. When I notice a speck in someone else's eye, it's not wrong to say, hey, there's a speck. But when I do that, I should start with going, examining myself and, and saying, could this be me? I'm going to be in confrontation with somebody. I'm going to have conflict with somebody. Could this be, could I be wrong here? Could I have missed the obvious log, beam, plank in my own eye? So I would say it this way, and, I, and I'm saying this to me as much as anyone, if it never occurs to you that this could be a you problem or that you could be wrong here, then you likely have a problem of self-righteousness, which is the problem of the Pharisees. So, so he's careful also, in addition to what we've just said, to make sure that we understand that when we sit in the seat of judge, we will be judged also in the same way and to the same measure or degree of severity. Ways and measure. Same way, same me measure or degree of severity or the degree of kindness and compassion. Could go either way. So I just want you to pause now. And I want you to reflect on, on, on your, let's, let's, let's reflect on our own proclivities as it relates to this area of our life, when other people have hurt you, harmed you, aggravated you, frustrated you, sinned against you, laughed at you, failed to follow up, follow through, disagree with you, how natural has it been for you to sort of convict them in the court of your own imagination? Just quickly, convict them in the court of your own imagination. We do this, right? To, to give their flaws, their failings, their shortcomings, in your opinion, a wicked spin job um, to turn their speck into a log, so to speak, and to convict them before they've ever had a chance to defend themselves. I will stop and say guilty. And I don't mean guilty like, yeah, one time back in the day. I mean guilty now. So this week, as I've been meditating on this text the Spirit of God has convicted me of, of my own ways that I've been part of this. And, and then, how easy is it to forget the rest of Jesus' words here? That, that one day the judgments we laid on others will get laid on us. And one day we will enter the court of our imagination again, but this time we will stand as the defendant. That's what we're reading here. 
So then in light of that, let's make it practical. How many text messages, emails, reviews online, come on, social media, Twitter posts, right? Confrontations, words we've said about other people behind their back. Would we like to get back right now in the face of the truth of Jesus' words of judge not because you're gonna be judged in the same way with the same severity or kindness or compassion that you've judged others. And I'm betting that some of you have felt like I have this week and gone, wish I could get some of that back. Now, let me remind us, if you've been here a while, you've heard me say what I'm gonna say. There are three ways that God deals with our failures, our shortcomings, at least three ways. First, he, he talks about justice right? That our God is a just and holy God. So justice is getting exactly what we deserve. No more, no less. It's the spirit. It's the letter of the law. Mercy is the other way Jesus, uh, God, God has dealt with us. Us getting a little less judgment or retribution than we deserve. This is where the spirit of the law comes into place where the judge goes, I'm going to give you a little less than what you deserve. And then the, Psalm 103, that great Psalm uh, which, can, which has a tremendous amount of theology all in one chapter. Verse eight, it says, our Lord is merciful and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And, and the old words were mercy, abounding in mercy, right? And verse 10, he gives us the great hope of the text, right? Which is God does not repay us according to our sins. He does not pay us to the measure that our sins deserve. Yes or no? And that is the best news you're going to hear today, right? And, and so what that means is that God does not, throughout the course of a week, as you and I think the wrong thought, have the wrong motives, say the wrong things, do the wrong, he does not give us a one-to-one -one retribution for every sin and wicked thing that we do. Because if he did, how many of you know, we'd be all jacked up when we walked up in here. If like God was like his holy thumping finger, right? My dad, when I was a kid, um, he wasn't much for paddling or whatever, but he would thump you. And my dad, even though I'm bigger than my dad, his finger is the size of this, this thing right here. <laughs> Daniel, pow! Felt like he split my melon open, right? Like, that's child abuse. Come on, back in the day, it wasn't. Did y'all know that, right? Back in the day, you just got punished because you, you, were, you were foolish and folly, filled with folly, right? Anyways, I'm not saying you should thump thine kids, all right? but I thump mine in their throats just for fun. <laughs> it's a great thunking sound that it makes. So, so if God gave us one-to-one -one retribution, we would be so jacked up. It's his mercy that causes him to pause. Now grace, grace is the offer of exactly what we do not deserve. It is undeserved favor. Yes? Right? So grace flows down, grace flows out. Grace has a flow about it. And when it doesn't flow out, this is when we start to think our good enough is good enough. So in fact, what Jesus is looking for us in our relationships with other people is humility. In fact, David, when he had sinned with Bathsheba, he writes that famous Psalm, Psalm 51, and he's talking about, it's a confessional, it's a confessional psalm. He says in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Meaning God will never turn his back on someone who comes to him in humility. But God hates pride. We know that 
all through the Bible, he hates pride. Like he doesn't, and pride is the sort of hypocritical spirit that says, I sit in the seat of a judge. My good enough is good enough and yours is not. And so to, to that degree, Jesus would say later on in Luke chapter 18, he would say to people who heard him preach this message, the Sermon on the Mount, he would say, that he tells a story about some people who were listening. He says, who trusted themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. My good is, is good enough, but no one else's is. But truth is, no one's good enough is good enough apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Yes or no? Right? That's what's at the heart of this, this, uh, this judgment here, which is why Paul says in Ephesians 2, he says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. Come on, say it with me. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You can't boast about you're good enough, right? It is not by your works. So when you and I pass judgment on other people, we have to, we, those are the three options. Justice, exactly what they deserve. But in our case, we will often give them more than they deserve. Or mercy, which is d- give them uh, uh, less than they deserve. Or grace, the offer of exactly what they don't deserve. And the lens we view others through is the lens of how much grace and mercy has come down from God, right? So when you live in the light of the mercy and grace of God, like when you and I fully understand what's been done for us, it should make us the kindest, most compassionate, most gracious people on the planet, right? Because while God does not repay us according to our sins, he will judge us according to the way and the measure we have judged others, right? So, so judged not, means we don't stand in the seat of God. We don't, we don't get to decide who is in or out, right? That's God's, that's God's who can alone judge the heart. And what does it mean then to not judge? It means you should never look at somebody else and say, they're beyond the capacity of God to save. God couldn't possibly save them based on their sin, their sin pattern, their habits, they're beyond. We don't have that right to say who God can save and who God can't save. And anytime we judge others in a way that belittles, condemns, takes revenge on other people, it's wrong because Hebrews chapter 10 says that God alone is the judge and he reserves the right to, 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 to vindication, right? So, so what is Jesus saying here when he says don't judge? He's saying, it's an old school word, but don't be censorious, right? Which means don't be don't be hypercritical. Don't, don't rush quickly to judgment. A person who judges harshly, quickly, unfairly, destructively, a person who censors others. That's the word. A person who's quick to criticize and condemn and whose criticism is not designed to build up, right? But to tear down, to destroy, to demean, to belittle. Um, he's condemning hypercriticalness Um, which is a total lack of grace. Now, that's the first part. The second part is he's gonna come in verse six and start to poke holes in the ideology of people who say, live however you want, do whatever you want. You can, you be you, boo, right? Come on, follow your heart, follow your basic instincts. Verse six, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. So we got dogs, hogs, and pearls. 
That's the message today. Praise God. <laughs> if you do throw them to pigs, pearls to pigs, they will they'll trample them under their feet, and then they'll turn and tear you to pieces. Now, very confusing passage of text here. What are we reading here? For one thing, we're seeing here that there is, a, there is proof that you and I, as if we follow Jesus, we're going to have to make judgments, right? Particularly about what is true and what is false, what is right and what is wrong. He's not saying in this text that we've read so far, do not make moral judgments, which is discerning right or wrong according to God's holy word. He's not saying don't do that, right? Just to be clear, Jesus is also not calling people dogs and pigs. Right? He's not name calling. He's pointing out the condition of people's hearts when they say, I'll live however I want to. You can tell me the truth. You can show me God's word, but I'll be indifferent towards the gospel. I'll be indifferent towards correction. I won't hear what anybody says. I will think it's folly and foolishness to live holy, godly, righteous lives. Some people will be open to correction and instruction. Hey, bro, you got a speck in your eye. And some will be violently opposed to people calling them out for what the Bible says. Violently opposed. Twice the words dogs and pigs are there. Dogs and pigs not valued in the time of Jesus. Dogs were, were not like your pet. I know you have a fluffy pet at home. These were not, they were scavengers. They, think about raccoons tearing up your garbage. That's what these dogs did. And they would get violent. They would attack people. Pigs eat slop. They have no discernment about what's good and what's bad. What, like you throw out a pearl, I'll eat that. You throw out a rusty old corn cob, I'll eat that too. Right? And if you throw out something valuable, they'll just trample it into the mud. And Jesus says there will be people He's talking to his disciples. Remember, his disciples are here. There's an audience that's broader, but his audience is there. Guys, you're going to run into people who have no, no place in their lives for truth. Right? They will turn a blind eye to it. Now, so none of what we said earlier is meant to suggest that we shouldn't ever have good judgment, that we shouldn't ever think critically, right? None of this means we ignore sin or turn blind eye to truth. First, Jesus says, I don't want you to make wrong judgments, right? Meaning, don't apply standards to other people that you have not applied first to yourself. That's what he said in the first part we studied. And, and, and so even if you have applied it to yourself, never mistreat, be unkind, lack grace when you speak to others what the truth is. Never use a bully poop it. <laughs> take, that, take that out of the text. <laughs> Pulpit. Been talking about dogs, y'all. What am I going to say? It's what they do. Anyways, it's mine. Anyways, don't use a bully pulpit to, to, to jam people up, man. Right? But, but here's also what he's saying here truth matters. The truth matters, right? The gospel matters. Holiness, right living matters. And he says, he calls truth a pearl. In another place he says, a guy sold all he had to, to buy the pearl of great price, which was the gospel, which was, was truth. He says, don't throw that just out anywhere because some, many people will just treat it and disparage it and treat it like trash. So let's not make the mistake to think that judge not means that truth doesn't matter. J Jesus came from the Father, John says, full of grace and truth, right? It's never going to be just truth or just grace. It's going to be grace and truth. Always. So people who say, 
don't judge me, and they stop reading there. Rarely do they read Matthew 7 with John 7, which says, do not judge by appearances only. Don't make a decision about somebody by the way they look, but judge with right judgment. Also the words of Jesus, right? So, so first, don't, don't apply to people what you, a standard you haven't applied to yourself. Second, there's a kind of right judgment that Jesus says here. Critical thinking, discernment, right judgment belongs to people who follow Jesus. Wrong judgment, which is harsh, unkind, personal preference-based opinions, berating, mistreating, demeaning, not right. Get clear on that. So what we're really talking about today is judge, judgmental versus judgment or judging versus judgment. There's a difference between being judgmental, which is a character that says, I'm superior, I critique you, I'm standing above you. And, and the difference between that and judging, which means I'm using judging as a measure of analysis and evaluation. So discernment is what we're after right here that we can analyze, that we can look at things, people, ways of doing things, uh, truths that are being broadcast out there, and we can pass them through the filter of what does God's word say. That's judgment, right? So Jesus summarizes in verse 12, which is really connected to this part more than it is the other part that it's it's connected to, what, what we call the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12. He says, so in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So if you're dealing with a person's speck in their eye, deal with them in the way you would hope that they would deal back to you if you have a speck in your eye. Does that make sense? So, so as Jesus explained in previous verses, when somebody has a speck of sawdust in their eye, we shouldn't just leave it there, right? We shouldn't just pretend that it doesn't exist. We, we shouldn't we shouldn't say that just because I have a plank in my eye, that speck in your eye is of no import. Just let them live with a speck. It's not helpful. It's not loving. It's not kind to be unclear about something. Clear is kind, right? That's what he's saying. So let's be clear. We are called to make moral judgments in life, but not be judgmental. Look at this, just a few verses down, and we're gonna get into this next week again. He says, watch out for false prophets. How do you know they're false? You made a judgment about them, right? They, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their, by their fruit, you're gonna recognize them. And then he says, uh, uh, he gives some examples. Do people pick grapes from a thorn bush? Answer, no, right? Figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits, you will recognize them, meaning you've had judgment. You've made moral judgments based on God's word. Is this true or false? So what is all of that about but having good judgment, good discernment? We have to have discernment about what's true and false and who's telling the truth and who is saying things that are false. If you have no discernment, you believe anything. So that's a grape, that's a thorn. That's a fig, that's a thistle. That's a sin, that's not okay. Yeah, but I don't wanna be judgmental. Let me say it this way then. For the sake of your children, for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your family, you'd better be. You'd better be, have, have good discernment. Like, like, I'll say this to young people and young adults, you better have discernment about who you're gonna run with. 
right? You, you, you young adults, you better have good, uh, uh, good discernment about who you're going to date and, and, and marry. You, you'd better go full on judge Judy on that score. Some of us in this room, we said, we would go, yeah, I didn't do good judge Judy thing and I've paid for it. Don't, don't nudge your wife right now, right? <laughs> Jesus says, by their fruit, you're gonna be able to recognize them. So you're like, I'm out looking for fruit and there's a big bruise on this banana. You're like, I'm gonna pick it anyway. What could, be, could go wrong, right? It's mush on the inside, right? right? Like if you're dealing with red flags, you have to have good judgment and good discernment. You're making a decision, a moral judgment. You're not going, hey, I condemn you. I just can't run with you, can't date you, can't marry you because you and I are not equally yoked. We're not going in the same direction. Ooh, get the car started, babe, because people, it's getting hot up in here. <laughs> like, like, listen, because if you can't tell the difference between a grape and a thorn, thorn your fruit salad is going to be jacked up. I think I, I think I pierced my tongue on your grape salad. You better have good insurance. Come on, somebody. Now, now I know that in our culture right now, this is going to get people in trouble. Where total tolerance is the only acceptable way to live. So, so I'm oldish. But in my day, tolerance meant that we could disagree about things and not hate each other. Big things. Politics, religion, right and wrong. We, we would be civil about it. Now, now, if we have an opinion that's different from each other, we have to attack one another, call us idiots and morons and losers and sheep or whatever we call each other, and we hate each other. Now, lean in. Today, tolerance means we have to embrace everybody's ideas as equally true. That's what tolerance means in our culture now. This is my truth. Yeah, but where did your truth come from? Me. Well, I'm going to be over here then. Right? Because if you have a biblical worldview, everybody, if, if you believe God's word is the ultimate authority in life, you cannot hold everyone else's ideas as equally true. Doesn't mean you treat them like jerks. Doesn't mean you, you condemn. It just means that this is the standard. I don't care what anybody else says, right? It, 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 this is definitely not what Jesus is saying when he says judge not. In fact, Paul says in, in Romans 3, he says that the, the, the Jews were given the, the oracle or the word of God. He says, and just because some of the Jews weren't, weren't, were hypocrites and, and weren't, weren't faithful and weren't good doesn't make God's word a lie just because they were, the, they were the receivers of God's word, but they didn't get it right. Doesn't make God's word a lie. He says, God forbid. He says, in fact, let God, and what are we talking about? Is let God's word be true and every human being a liar. And then he says, as it is written, so that you may be proven uh, uh, right when you speak and you prevail when you, when you judge. Why are you, what are you judging from? This, right? Proverbs 14 says, there is a way that seems right, but the end is, is death. What Paul is saying is that there are things that are timelessly true regardless of what shifts in culture. What does God's word say? Some of you will remember the author George Orwell. He was not a believer by any stretch of the imagination, but he said something that applies here. He said, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those that speak it, the truth. He says, in an era of a kind of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a, a revolutionary act, right? So, so we live in a world that has misinterpreted Matthew 7 
bullies people with judge not unless you be judged, extrapolated from that, that Jesus is saying, no one has the right to discern right from wrong. That is not what Jesus said. Followers of Jesus do not throw away sound doctrine, judgment, critical thinking. They strive with God's help to offer, to, to rightly judge. But even when they do confront, rebuke, remove, remove a speck from somebody's eyes, they do so with the knowledge, with the awareness that they were once headed towards a Christless eternity, but now they are wrapped with eternal, unchanging grace and mercy. That's the lens. Two things and I'm done. I'm over. I'm always over. Come on, somebody. I cut so much out and I'm still over. I'm so mad right now. Anyway. Number one, how do, we, how do we judge rightly? What if we started with believing the best about other people? The way we used to, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ. And at this, Christians are often the worst. Do you know who we judge the most? Other believers. We're the worst at loving our brothers and sisters especially when they have a, 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 a minor issue or difference about how things should be. If they're different than us, we devour them. We, if we don't like something that the pastor or preacher or whoever says, we quit the church and go to another church. And ultimately what we end up doing is we, the Bible says in the end times, people will heap up to themselves teachers who have itching ears, meaning they'll say whatever it is you want them to say. They'll never step on your toes. They'll never get up in your business. Come on, business, anybody? You know what I'm saying? Right? And if they don't say what we want them to say, we'll walk out and we'll trash them on the way out. What if instead we just believe the best about people? What if instead of going straight to all oh, their morons, clueless, evil, deceived, what if it occurred to us they might be fighting a hard battle? They might be trying to figure some stuff out. Um, there's a reason why God is the judge and we're not, we're not qualified because we can't see people's hearts. We don't always know their history, their background. We, we don't know extenuating circumstances. We don't know how far they've come. We're looking at them from the outside going, man, they got so far to go. We don't know how far they've come. We don't know what their motives are. We, can't, we can see their actions. We can't see their heart. And why not start with grace? So the second thing we do is we, we live from a posture of grace and what? Truth. Not grace or truth, but we let grace lead the way because that's the way the Bible postured it. Jesus lets us know that we are not first the judged, or sorry, the judge. We are first the judged. Read the text. You're not the judge, you're the judged. And there's a day coming, the Bible says, when we all stand before him and we will be judged for two things. What we did with Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, what we did with the gospel when it was, was preached to us. And we'll be judged for what we did with what God put in our hands. The resources, the time, the talent, the treasures, the insights, the, the expertise. We will be judged with what we did with Jesus and we will be judged with what God gave us. Hebrews 9 uh, says that it is appointed for man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Everybody's gonna face it. And the best I can tell you, the best I can tell me is I wanna live my life going yes to truth and yes to grace. Both of those things, holding them jointly. Both of them. So Lord, thank you for the word of the Lord. Thank you for... This Sermon on the Mount, it's, man, it's convicting. It's, it's hard to hear. It's hard to listen to. It's hard to preach, honestly. But I'm praying, I'm thankful for the conviction that I felt this week. I got work to do. I have much work to do related to this area. I pray you'd help me by the grace of the Holy Spirit to convict me, to, to lead and guide me. 
but not to be condemned because therefore there is now no condemnation to those who live, who are in Christ Jesus. So I pray that we would not walk out of here condemned, but we'd walk out of here in the light of the awareness of the grace, the goodness, the mercy of God that's been extended towards us. That while we were yet sinners, the Bible says that Christ died for us. My good enough is never good enough. I'm always going to need the grace of Jesus Christ. And he who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That anybody who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. Anybody who believes in their heart that God raised them from the dead can be saved. Anybody who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord can be saved. So God, if that's us, if that's, our, if that's what's next for us, we just confess you, Jesus, you are Lord. Come and be the forgiver of my sins and the healer of my broken places. I believe that you died on a cross and that God raised Jesus from the dead believe that. Romans 10 says we will be saved. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for truth. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so very much. What a power. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.